If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. We are here. Your BFF Sadie, my BFF Sadie Carpenter. My name is Gabriel Hakoen. How are you doing today, Sadie? I am doing fantastic. I'm really excited to get to this episode. Okay, what well, what are we talking about today? So today we are going to be talking about three, technically three different fundy influencers. Uh, Two of them are married to each other. That's Paul and Morgan. And then we're also going to be talking about Kelly Haven-Stickle. These people are about as far apart as you can get as as far as funding influencers go. And I think it may seem like a weird combination, but they have some things in common that we are going to pull out and talk about. Yeah. And this is really exciting because this is going to lead us into a topic, I guess, for next week that we're really excited to talk about that we've been really wanting to talk about for a while. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully if the combination of people that we've chosen to talk about today doesn't make sense this week, then it will at least make sense 
when we start next week's episode. Let's just get right in. I just got to say that the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there are some things that you can do. You can join our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes, as well as some other things that you might find interesting, including uh, various writings by Sadie, various musings by Sadie about cult life, uh, cult-related media, things of that nature. Uh, and, you know, I've found those things personally to be enlightening. I think that you guys might like them too. That is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus, where you can hang out with and discuss the show with other fans of the show. Super fun thing to do. Same thing you can do on our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Anything else we need to talk about before we get into today's episode, Sadie? Uh, I think we can get into our I Gave It All tier patrons and Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, and then I can hit you with a trigger warning and we can go. All right, let's do it. As always, our I Gave It All tier patrons, two of them, Melissa Mosley, Kathleen Moncrief. Two of you, I, I don't know. I, I can't thank you enough for being so amazing and supporting our show in the way that you do. It's, it's just incredible to me. And I have similar feelings towards all of our faith promise missions to your patrons. Just, I am so thankful to have your support, but your names are Alex Todd, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R. Krissa. Oh, comedian, big, sexy, Justin Bauman. If you've ever, uh, if if you're a fan of comedy, if you're ex fundamentalist, look up Justin Bauman's comedy because I've seen some of his uh, some comedy from him on YouTube. He's very funny. He is very funny. He is very funny. He's a, a regular contributor in our Facebook group. Great guy, funny guy. Uh, Crystal Patterson, dear Ethan Hansen, the musical. That's great. Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth Deworth, Emery Fairlosser. My actual BFF, Meg, well, I can have more than one BFF. Just want to let everybody know there that Meg isn't replacing Sadie in any way. My <laughs> actual BFF, Meg, Hannah Ross, Hiller. Oh, this is a, this must be a new one. Actually, it says new as in like half an hour oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Today, the day that we're recording. Is it Hillary Chorney? It could be. Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> no, Hil Hillary Chorney. Uh, thank you so much. We have Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Hedberg. Thank you, Kat Hedberg. Fantastic. Kay Terwee, Catherine Schneider, Kristen Marie, Lauren Van Der Waal. Van Der Waal. Van Der Waal. You're my Van Der Waal. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Today is going to be the day that I'm going to throw it back to you, Lauren. Uh, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, 
Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutes, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut, Son of Walnut, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much to all of these people. All of them. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our I Gave It All Tier and Faith Promise Missions Tier patrons and to all of our patrons who continue to make this show possible. And all of our listeners in general. And all of our listeners. If we if you didn't download the show, then no one would download the show. That's true. We wouldn't we would be sitting here in uh my front closet talking to no one. Yeah. So I wanna give you a quick trigger warning for today's episode. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, included, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics. It's just what you get when you talk about a childhood in fundamentalism. But we try to avoid graphic detail unless it's highly relevant to the story that we're telling. And we do our best to give the audience a heads up before going into detail on any of those topics. This episode will contain discussion of infertility, depression, mental health, very brief mention of eating disorders, racism, white supremacy, homophobia. We'll let you know if we're going to dig into any of those topics in depth or give examples, but I don't think we'll need to on most of them. I think the mentions that we have planned are pretty brief. Yeah. Once again, the users over at the subreddit Fundy Snark Uncensored have been massively helpful in compiling this episode. Of course, we do our best to cross-check the information there with relevant sources, especially directly from the social media of the people that we're talking about, since these are social media influencers. But having all of the info in one place is really helpful. And we always feel like it's our responsibility to be clear and honest about where we're getting our information and internet users that were helpful in bringing it all together. The users and mods over at Fundy Snark Uncensored have always shown us so much love, and I wouldn't feel right if we didn't thank the sub right back. And before we start, one more thing I want to say, slight correction from last week's episode when I was talking about Dave Ramsey. There was a clip that I mentioned where I said that Dave Ramsey said something. It was not, in fact, Dave Ramsey who said the thing about the student loan repayment, about paying the loan back rather than um, taking the 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 loan forgiveness. It was his daughter, but they were both on his show together. It was his uh, daughter, Rachel Cruz. I think she's his daughter. Okay. So he endorsed that statement, but he didn't say it personally. It was a statement. I I just misremembered uh, the the clip that I watched. It It was a clip that was on his show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I also want to say by means of disclaimer, today we are talking about people who have true mental health struggles. And one of those people will be about a week postpartum when this episode releases. So we are not doing a zero snark episode here by any means. Um, Mental health concerns don't exempt someone from their views, nor from their snarkable, lighthearted moments. But we may be a little more gentle on these people than we are on the Duggars, for example. Some of our Duggar episodes are just a rundown of every snarkable thing about a person, and that's not necessarily the intention of what we're doing today. Don't worry, we will snark. (laughs) But today's episode turned out a little bit deeper 
And if you stick with us, I promise it'll make sense. Okay, so who do you want to talk about first here? The first influencers that we're talking about today are Paul and Morgan Oligas. Do you want me to explain who they are for anybody who has not seen them? Yes. Okay. Let's do that. So Paul and Morgan Oligas, they go by Paul and Morgan. Uh, They are an insufferably smug Christian YouTube vlogger couple. Uh, similar to Girl Defined in the general, uh, the look and a lot of the topics that they talk about. They do a lot of videos on modesty, dating, and that sort of thing. So before Paul met Morgan, he was a model and hairstylist in LA. He comes off very much like the kind of smug asshole that would go on The Bachelor and then um, have very strong opinions about the fantasy suites by the second week. <laughs> Chris... <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed fairly normal, like relatively normal uh, five years ago or 10 years ago. Morgan, before she met Paul, she was pursuing a singing career. They met each other and it seems to have been kind of a religious synergy effect. I think they have both become more religious through the course of their relationship. So, Gavi, you watched some of their clips. What did you think of Paul and Morgan? So, yeah. So in preparation for this episode, I watched a decent amount of their content. And I'm going to be honest with you guys out like of the stuff that I've seen, which is not everything that they've ever said. So don't come at me with like the, well, what about this thing that they said this of the stuff that I've seen? It's not the worst Christian influencer content Mm -hmm. that I've had to watch over the course of doing this show. Like in comparison to girl defined or in comparison to, I don't know, like Brittany Dawn or in comparison to Ginger and Jeremy, I would put them solidly above those. You know what I'm saying? Like if we're Are doing you saying t- above in like quality of content or what? Yes, and also or like levels just- of toxicity. A little bit of both. They're not like they're not as as they're not as toxic as Girl Defined, in my opinion. They're not as toxic as uh, I think they're worse, but I but I I know I, <laughs> I respect your opinions. It's a really fine line and it's very subjective. Okay, so we're going to we'll, we'll talk about those things. But like if we were doing a tier list of Christian influencers, I'd definitely put them in like the 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 B tier or like the C tier. You know what I'm saying? Like I would not say A-tier. yeah, B now, C uh, a year or two ago when I first became aware of them. They have definitely grown their following since then. Yeah, you know who you know who A tier is? Duggars. J Rod. J Rod is like <laughs> <laughs> just for pure entertainment value. J Rod is uh, is is like no, I'm she's confused like- about this tier system because I don't know if we're going by followers or quality or just what you think is funny because it kind of seems like it's just what you think is funny. You know what? That's more it than anything. Like the J Rod wins uh, because, of, because of pure like pure like this woman is like out of her goddamn mind. Um, I and would she, I would love to get J-Rod on our show. That would be fantastic. I feel like that J-Rod. would be because Preacher Boys just did a thing where he talked to an actual like IFB preacher on the show. Interesting. Send me a link to that later. Please, I will. please do. I will. Um yeah, I, I would love to get J-Rod on the show. That would be fantastic. I'm just saying yeah. that I think I would rather be forced to watch Girl Defined than Paul and Morgan because I just I really cannot stand Paul. Fair. Like Morgan, Morgan is fine. She's got a personality. Paul just ticks me off. 
So one thing, there are a few things that make Paul and Morgan a little bit different than your typical Christian or fundamentalist influencers. What are they? They're Pentecostal, which is one thing. Another thing that that differentiates them is that Morgan had sex with a different guy before Paul. She was in a long-term relationship but not married, and they've been really open about that. Morgan had a True Love Waits tattoo. Like, she had the words until marriage tattooed on her arm, and Mm. then she later covered it up with flowers after she did not, in in fact, uh, wait until marriage. (laughs) To be clear, I'm snarking on... I'm not sm- snarking on the extramarital sex. I'm snarking on getting a <laughs> true love weights tattoo. Can, can I can I maybe say something in Morgan's defense here? You go ahead. I, I'm not denying that a true love weights tattoo is kind of cringe in general. Just not um, no dispute there. But but Morgan is clearly cool enough to actually get tattoos. Okay. Like, you could like I, you could never see Bethany or Kristen from Girl Defined getting a tattoo, even if it was like true. A, a, a cross tattoo somewhere or something, or like mess a, a up Jesus. their pure Aryan skin that way, knowing them. The Wagnerian, uh, <laughs> oh, true love waits tattoo is cringe. A true love waits until marriage tattoo is like cringe to the power of n, which is you know however what value you want to assign to it. (laughs) So Morgan, Morgan did uh, eventually, of course, marry Paul. She threw up at the wedding altar, which kind of seems like a bad sign. I think she just got stage fright or something. Uh, We're going to talk about, okay, let's do, let's do their beliefs and what they talk about on their vlog channel. And then we'll circle back around to the state of their marriage. Oh, Did you okay. see all of the, the the thing that sticks in my head, all the anti-Disney stuff recently? Paul was apparently like a Disney adult before Disney, quote unquote, went woke. And then recently he's posted pictures of him like ripping Disney branded T-shirts off of his body. That absolutely tracks, though, because Paul kind of looks like Prince Eric from Little Mermaid. That is Prince Eric slander. The whole Little Mermaid comparison might actually work as far as the whole wife slash girlfriend without a voice thing, that kind of tracks. Hmm. So Paul, Paul and Morgan, um, a lot of their story has focused on Morgan's ongoing mental health struggles and what has been done about that. So Morgan has shared that she has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, but after seven years on antidepressants, she chose to go off of the meds because Jesus, quote, set her free from BPD. That is a rough diagnosis. It is. is, mm. And, And having BPD is definitely neither a monolith nor, in my opinion, snarkable. Uh, I really hate the stigma of mental illness in general. BPD gets an extra bad rap. It's just a thing that's in the media as like, oh, everybody who has this is a total monster. And that's obviously not true. Now, isn't the main treatment for it um, the uh, DBT, like the the dialectical uh, behavior therapy? Because I've known people with that diagnosis. Weren't monsters. Just want to say I've known people with that diagnosis who were not monsters. It just may be a little chaotic. And they weren't medicated, but they were doing the, the the DBT, and that was their treatment. Yeah. So according to some brief research I did, medication helps a lot of people with borderline. It's because that there are so many 
comorbidities. So usually somebody who has borderline is also going to have depression and anxiety, but is also at much higher risk for having bipolar as well. So usually if somebody who has borderline is on medication, the medication helps with the comorbidities. And then the dialectical behavioral therapy or whatever other kinds of therapy that they're in is the main treatment for the actual BPD. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So question. Yes. Was Morgan telling other people with serious mental health disorders to go off the meds without medical supervision because of Jesus? Yes. Not personally, Mm -hmm. not like in her comments, somebody being like, I had this disorder. Should I go off my meds? And then Morgan saying, yes, that's not something that I've ever seen. But Morgan, through her influencer job, her position as a person with a lot of followers, does encourage in general that people who are medicated for mental health concerns uh, go off their meds and try to just go on Jesus instead. That's a bad idea. Yeah, it, it is it, it is not a good idea. Um, would it surprise you if I told you that influencing other people to not follow medical advice or best practice is kind of a running theme with these two? That doesn't surprise me. That they seem like the type that would be also hella anti So they are they are anti vaxxers and like COVID non believers and all of the associated nonsense with that. But also Paul and Morgan experienced infertility for several years. Morgan chose to go to a naturopathic doctor, uh, which is not the problem. The problem is that the naturopathic doctor gave her a combination of herbal supplements that ended up making it less likely for her to get pregnant because they messed with her hormones. Morgan did finally get pregnant. Of course, she attributed this to God and not the actual fertility treatments that she did after leaving the naturopath. So she was with a naturopathic doctor. She quit going to that doctor, went to an actual fertility specialist, and then got pregnant and said it was God, which is fun. I mean, that's my, I was raised by a physician. He told me that that's like a regular occurrence is that mm-hmm. you'll help somebody out and then they'll say, oh, thank God. You know, it's like a joke in the medical community. Right. That's like. I mean, if you were somebody who's very much a believer in the intervention of God in your daily life, you could say, thank you, God, for giving the doctors the education and the wisdom to choose the right treatment for me. Or thank you, God, for giving me such a smart doctor who knew what to do. Anyway, Morgan finally did get pregnant after actual fertility treatments, but she is now planning a home birth and She's cheaping out on a midwife, even though she's been diagnosed with placenta previa, which is pretty concerning. Okay. And so as we're actually recording this episode right now, like Morgan, I we believe is literally like in labor. Um, I, I really <laughs> think so. I have followed a lot of these influencers who have done concerning and potentially unsafe home births. Um, I was checking on this one uh, Catholic influencer who is just really hard-headed about things. And her baby was a breach baby, a footling breach, which is the most dangerous way to attempt to birth a child, especially at home without help, uh, and could have really gone bad. Uh, Breach delivery is absolutely something that can be done. It's not something that I would ever attempt at home for safety reasons. Uh, and, And she had her baby, and her baby is to all reports, healthy and fine. Carissa Collins had a 
concerning home birth without medical help. And she had her baby and the baby is fine, except for Carissa's general medical neglect. These, uh, I follow a non-religious influencer on TikTok and like half of our audience probably knows who that is, who just had an unassisted home birth and is probably fine. Um, Lots of people do these risky free births or home births, and most of them really somehow turn out okay. I don't think that makes it okay to tell other people to continue to attempt severely risky home births, because that does lead to people dying or harm coming to babies in the instances where it doesn't go right. I'm sure Morgan will most likely be fine. Maybe this sort of thing hits harder for you because you've actually like had a kid and you've been through pregnancy and childbirth. I often see people on the internet fighting about what the proper method for XYZ thing is. And I just kind of tune out of that sort of thing. And well, there's a lot of things to fight about when it comes to birth and the newborn phase of baby having. We've said a lot, if I can contextualize this for you, we've said a lot on the podcast that we are supportive of responsible homeschooling. Um, It's irresponsible and neglectful homeschooling that we have an issue with. It's very much the same for me with home birth. I'm very supportive of responsible home birth. I don't know if I would do it myself, but it can be done in a responsible and safe way. I personally think free birth, which is completely unattended births, no medical professionals, no midwife, no help. You're A lot of people do it like out in the woods and no plan for getting help if things go pear-shaped is horribly irresponsible. It's the not having a plan for if something goes wrong that gets me. Like these pe- like people will delude themselves into thinking that birth is a risk-free activity and you can just like go do it in a field and they don't have a cell phone with them to call if something goes wrong. That's like that's an issue. That is much more of an issue than somebody who wants to have a, a baby at their house with like a midwife or somebody who has experience in delivering babies and knows when to call if something goes wrong. Morgan in particular, she's been diagnosed with placenta previa. So placenta previa is when part or all of the placenta is over the top of the opening to the cervix, which obviously presents a real big problem for getting a baby out through the cervix. That's why it's an issue. It's potentially deadly. Oh, okay. Yeah, like you, that is a problem. I'm making um hand motions that you can't see, but I feel like would be very entertaining if you could. But that's the sort of thing where if you go to a like like a hospital or a birthing center or something like that, they will they will know what to do in that situation. But if you're just there by yourself, then that's like a right because yeah. it can cause the mother to hemorrhage or the birthing person to hemorrhage um, very easily. And if that happens, you need intervention like right now in order to not die. Oh, because of blood loss. Right. So there's a huge difference between that and somebody who has every expectation of an uncomplicated birth, which can certainly be done at home in a safe way, especially if there is a good plan. Somebody there who knows the signs of like, this is a sign that something is going bad. That is a sign that something is going bad. I am going to call and get an ambulance here and they will be here in five minutes and everybody will live. So there are a lot of risk factors to consider. And I think with birth and parenting, it's a spectrum starting with that is the safest thing you can do. And then in the middle of the spectrum, there's, well, maybe that's not for me, but it's reasonably safe. Good luck and you do you. 
And then on the far end of the spectrum, there is that is provably unsafe and you are choosing to endanger yourself and your baby. And to me, what Morgan is choosing to do is on the end of like you are you're choosing danger when you don't have to. Is Paul going to at least get some training beforehand to to figure out what to do? I would hope so. Uh, he typically exhibits a lot of disdain for women, so I'm not optimistic. So she's just going to be there. She's going to white knuckle it, you know, that he's going to sip some coffee, maybe wait for the baby. And... Or maybe he'll pull a Josh Duggar and fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> or pull a King Robert and, and go hunting. Who knows? Uh, is he going to at least clean up afterwards? I I assume that Morgan cleans up everything because Paul and Morgan have supported Lori Alexander, transformed wife, in the past. So she's going to have the baby, and then she's going to have to to like by herself, and then she's going to have to clean up all the mess. And uh, I assume I don't know. Uh, that's so. I just checked her Instagram. He is making cooking videos while she is laboring in the background at the moment. Really? Yeah. What? That, that is, is bonkers. Literally, that was three hours ago, but that is, I just checked their Instagram and that's what came up. Jesus f***ing Christ, dude. That He's is, talking about the book of Proverbs. That, it, that It's a choice. <laughs> I, I know that for like, with, with this like home birth stuff, I know that for a lot of families, I know that the first child, a lot of families go really hard into the whole oh, we have to do everything perfectly. And then, you know, baby two and baby three comes around and mom's just like, yeah, this vitamin, this Mozart belly headphones, that doesn't matter. I'm going to dip pickles and marshmallows and queso and drink nothing but Bloody Mary mix and orange juice uh, (laughs) for the entirety of my pregnancy because that's what I wanted. Like, do you think that maybe there's some like added pressure because A, it's the first child, B, they have like influencer status. I'm glad you asked that. I do think there is a lot of pressure on them. So one, it, there's influencer. They they have to be an influencer. Um, two, they're trying to be a Christian influencer. And the trend in Christian influencers right now is very much natural and kind of pseudo crunchy, pseudo environmentalist without actually being nice to the environment. Uh, Also, this is their baby that they waited a very long time to be able to conceive. And that puts a a pressure on people that I think is really natural and normal. I think a lot of people, like I've had friends who experienced infertility and then were finally able to get pregnant. And that is very normal to put a lot of pressure on yourself when you're in that situation. I also think somebody on the subreddit really hit it on the head. They said that she had healing hands laid on her by church members. She had all of these prayers from the church members around them that she would, number one, that she would be able to overcome her mental health struggles, and number two, that she would be able to get pregnant. So as far as the mental health struggles she had all of this uh, support from people around her in the moment. And so she felt better for a minute. And she said, oh, Jesus must have fixed it. And now, whether she still feels better or not, she has to keep up the illusion that she's still fixed because Jesus fixed it. So now she doesn't have an out to say, oh, no, actually, it's not fixed. It's not all better. With the pregnancy, God told her, according to Morgan, 
that this is going to be fine and safe. And she has said publicly that she has got all of these people praying for her and that God told her that it's fine and safe. So now she can't back out or she would basically be saying that she doesn't trust God. Wow. That is a lot of pressure. So I think that's how the mental health stuff and the pregnancy stuff ties together. That's really manipulative too from the the whole, from the church. It's rough. That's... Right. And this is a question, and this is a question that's going to come up again in the second half of the podcast is, is this pressure internal? Is it coming from Morgan or is it coming from the people around her? And I, my gut feeling would always be both. It's almost always both. So do you ever look at the comment section under their videos, under their, their Instagram, on their YouTube? You know, Not whatever? really. What's it like? Most of it. I'm trying to put this in a way that isn't going to offend our fans, but it's not dissimilar to the nature of the comments that are in our Facebook group. When I post a new episode every Monday, like it's people sharing a personal experience that relates to the topic um, at hand and saying, thank you so much for addressing this topic. You had so much wisdom on it, uh, blah, 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 blah. But then every once in a while, You'll see a comment that that that's really cutting into them and not from the sort of like, oh, purity culture is bad or your views on LGBT people are hateful or, you know, it'll be cutting into them from the angle of the only way to do X thing is this. And if you don't do that, then you are leading people onto the wrong path and the light of God is not with like it's it's that sort of thing. And that is very much a charismatic thing. So Paul and Morgan were heavily involved with the charismatic movement. Is that Uh, speaking in tongues? Yeah, speaking in tongues, but also prophecy was a huge thing in the group that they were involved in. And they were involved in in this group way back when I first became aware of their existence. They've since very much stepped away from that, which is something that I can respect. But I think a lot of their followers are still holdovers from those days. So that gets you mm. even more into like, well, God told me or, or somebody that I trust prophesied about this thing. And if you don't do it, then you are leading people against God's word. But Paul Paul and Morgan's entire brand is built around them being the experts on everything and being extremely knowledgeable about what God wants everyone else to do. A lot of their videos are like, should Christians do this? Should Christians do that? Should Christians, should Christian men wear nail polish? Should Christian women have long hair? Like that sort of thing. So it, it, like, their brand is like, we know all the answers. I mean, that's kind of most Fundy's brand though, right? True. Because like if, if you grow up and you grow up believing that there is only one God's way, of doing this it's god's way or not god's way very binary and you're not doing that then you're straying from the path if you are doing that you need to let everyone know what the right way is like it's like giving somebody a tip uh on mm-hmm. you know, if somebody asks you for directions be like oh well you want to avoid this place because the traffic's always bad around 3 p.m right it's but- like it's it's like don't don't take burnside at 5 p.m., just just go down one of the side streets. So Paul and Morgan, uh, as the experts on everything and also self-appointed pop culture experts to all of the Christians, uh, they have an opinion on everything. They really do. And it probably won't be a surprise 
that their opinions on LGBT people are bad. Uh, they have they have dabbled in some boring transphobia. I categorize it as boring because it is just the same old disgusting shit that everybody else is saying. It's just like parroting other people's BS. And it's not like there's no substance that we can talk about and take apart because it's the same thing that we've talked about like 14 times on our podcast. Do you remember that time when it, it was just like a month ago or something when the vice president she she said like oh i i use she her pronouns or something on a call and it was televised yes and everybody went <laughs> all the transphobes like went nuts i was scrolling their instagram today and they had like a promo thing where it, it was a picture of uh the vice president and they they said it was like a he him she her question marks and paul and morgan were sitting there looking like you know dumb youtube face on and i'm just like oh my god yeah. you guys really have to talk about everything but they are like, they're the people who are like, oh, we don't put our pronouns in our bios because we don't bow to the woke agenda. Like, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. That's, it's- that's the, that's their, that's their take. So their take is not only um, transphobic and bad, their take is also boring. Is it better or worse than uh, Bethany Beals? He is risen in the prime. <laughs> See, I would say it's better because that was one of the worst things I've ever had to see with my God-given eyeballs. That was um, so funny. I laughed so hard when I saw I that. I tried to use he is risen pronouns for Bethany for a while, uh, but that is actually pretty difficult. Yeah. How do you... Um, I wrote do- sentences for this because everybody knows like my... So if somebody that I know makes a pronoun change... I write sentences with their new correct pronouns and practice those sentences. If I'm having any trouble getting used to new pronouns for them, um, I just, I write a couple sentences and then practice just so that their correct pronouns are in my mouth and it gets me in the habit really quickly of, of doing it correctly. Um, so I wrote sentences for Bethany with he is risen pronouns, but I, <laughs> I couldn't, I don't know where my note is. With Would that. it help you if you diagrammed the sentences? Yes, it would help me if I diagram the sentences because diagramming sentences is useful. Okay, it's so not. Paul and Morgan, just some examples of their views on LGBT people. Uh, they went after Demi Lovato for using they, them pronouns like anyone cares about their minor influencer views on major famous person Demi Lovato. The Paul also... Uh, as I mentioned, made a video about should Christian men wear nail polish? And of course, his conclusion was no, that's feminine. Oh my God. Don't do that. What if you're wearing nail polish so that you can protect your fingernails so that when you play guitar, they they are more durable? Is that okay? Uh, You know, you'd have to go watch their video because I won't. I'll have to ask him. So we need to sew it up or get close to sewing it up on Paul and Morgan here. Um, we got to get into the the racism. Paul and Morgan have made all lives matter type posts. That's kind of their take. They've spoken out against BLM. They defended the police who killed Breonna Taylor. Apparently, they made a video where they are big mad about Black Elves in the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power series. But that video has not gone private because that take was so bad, even Paul and Morgan couldn't stand by it, apparently. If you uh, downloaded the video or saved the video or something, or you have a copy of it that that is not private, please send it to us. I want to watch it because I think that's hilarious. When they were talking about 
BLM stuff, Black Lives Matter stuff, were they talking about like the movement slash like hashtag, or were they talking about Black Lives Matter, the actual like organization itself, like the five hundred one c three? Or because like a lot of people don't know the difference. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think Paul knows the difference either. Um, so what what I was looking at was an Instagram story that was screenshotted from quite a while ago. Paul asked Paul likes to ask controversial questions on Instagram to get attention. He asked his followers, do you support BLM or not? And why or why not? And then he shared responses that he liked. He shared this response from a follower, and I'm just going to quote, no, because it's a movement that is destructive and trains people to be prejudiced toward white people. Prejudice not conjugated properly. Right, and also racist. (laughs) For all the people that are obsessed with pronouns, maybe they should focus more on verb conjugation. But that's just me saying that. Well, but Paul's response, though, I would point out, is not even that deep. Like, he doesn't differentiate or have a quote from anybody. Like, the response that he's promoting from one of his followers is BLM makes people prejudiced toward white people. Like, his only issue is as deep as, as deep as he goes, is claiming reverse racism and making himself the victim. Like, that's it. That is the depth of his response. Or the response that he is promoting. I want to be clear. He didn't post. He didn't write those words himself. He posted someone else's words. I'm not saying it. Somebody else said it. I'm not saying it. Well, yeah. And he does that. And that is one of the things that he does that annoys me the most. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really, if you, if you stand behind your beliefs, you'll say what you mean and you'll, um, you'll, you'll say it from your own mouth and not, you know, do, do you mind if I share a little bit of a controversial opinion though? Oh yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. So for me. The bar for these Christian influencers is so low that I have zero expectations that they would not be hateful to transgender people or that they would not misgender people or that they would not say some racist from time to time. You know what I'm saying? Like, Like, this is what you expect from a Christian influencer. Right. I know that we have to hold people to a certain standard. And as soon as I looked at their first video, there was zero doubt in my mind what their opinions were about Black Lives Matter, what their opinions were about transgender people, what their uh, opinions were about the LGBTQ uh, 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 rights movement in general. Um, So this is not to defend them in any way because I don't want to seem like I'm at all co-signing anything that they're saying. I do, however, want to point out that there are a few points that they've made that kind of make sense to me. Okay, I'm I'm down to hear this. I get that I feel like you're saying the bar is so low that they are at least not below the very very low bar of shittiness. Right. Right. Okay. Cuz like, I mean they're awful. They are, they are they're awful, but if they said a couple of things that didn't make your skeleton try to leap out of your body through your mouth to escape, <laughs> um, I'm fine with you highlighting them. Also, when you were saying Paul asking questions to his followers, I wanted to say, do you do I know what rhetorical means? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do uh, I know what rhetorical means? <laughs> one of the best jokes in Simpsons history, honestly. We have a Simpsons uh, themed podcast episode coming up, by the way. Watch for that. Cat uh, is going to be really happy. It's going to be so fun. Um I've I've watched a decent amount of like Bethany and Kristen stuff and and almost everything that they say and I was just like that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong like is like the the bar that I'm looking for is is it, are they saying 
anything at all that I can be like, okay, that kind of makes sense. So first of all, I want to say this is probably due to misogyny in the church that they talk more about theological concepts than say girl defined does. The caveat to this is that it's usually Paul talking about the theological concepts because girl Mm -hmm. defined is more about the specific topics that women are supposed to talk about, which is not theology because we leave theology up to the men. That being said, I watched a video from Paul in which he said that because just because somebody seems to have the Holy Spirit working in their life does not mean that their prophecies are above question. That seemed like a good piece of advice. Yeah, that is that does not seem wrong to me. Yeah. And and so another piece of advice that I saw was do not read into tiny things in your life believing that God is sending you a secret message. So like if you see a license plate mm-hmm. that says something, that's probably not a message from God. If you're stubbing your toe, that's probably not a message from God. If there's a grasshopper landing on your arm, that's probably not a message from God. And from doing this show with you and hearing from all of our listeners, I think that there's a lot of people who, if somebody had said this to them, if they had had this teaching when they were growing up, it would have saved a lot of people a lot of uh, stress and anxiety growing up. Okay, that's that's true. That is a good point. Paul and Morgan, they are saying this as far as I know, because they did believe that for years, that the the stubbing a toe or seeing a license plate or a grasshopper was a message from God, and then it wasn't good for them. I think there's a, sh- a shred of respectability in admitting that they were wrong about that. I wish that they would take that lesson and not continue to build a brand on the concept that they are right about everything else. I agree with you 100%. I've got another question, which is, who do you think their primary audience is? Do you think that their primary audience is uh, people who are married or people who are unmarried or just people who believe the same things as them and want to have their their opinions basically regurgitated back to them mama bird style i actually have no idea they are some of the fundy influencers who i sometimes wonder if they have any followers outside of the snarkers i took a quick look just as i'm talking through morgan's instagram followers and it seems like most of her followers are young christian women who are like either recently married or like looking to get married or young mothers like that's Hmm. who she seems to attract on her personal account i can check their main account yeah because see i ask this because there is there is a large number of videos that they make where sex is the primary topic I I was wondering why because their audience is is their audience unmarried and they're really curious about the topic or is it because their audience is married and they want advice about the topic or is it just because if you do any topic and you put sex in the title then it gets like automatically 20 to 30% more views because it's spicy Just looking through, it does look like a good portion of their followers are young married people. I also think, though, that they are doing a lot of videos about sex because it gets a lot of views. I don't perceive them. I could totally be wrong, but I don't perceive them as being savvy enough to have a breakdown of who their target audience is. Like I don't think they're good enough business people to 
have like I don't think they've ever done like a business model where they talk about their target demographic. Right. I Could think be that, wrong, but I don't think so. So because with a lot of their content, and so this is especially with like the content relating to sex, there is a level of weird voyeurism to it in that they go out of their way to put the romance in their relationship with each other front and center. Like at the beginning of a video, Paul kisses Morgan on the cheek, like as that's like the intro to their video, you know, they'll talk about sex all the time and they like, and from time to time, they'll bring up things that they've done, things that they've tried, but they'll use a lot of euphemisms in a really sort of gross and creepy, but also braggadocious way. So that's a thing that a lot of fundies do. Um, it's intended to obscure the meaning from people who are y- too young to get married while being clear to the people who are married. That That is what I think. That's why I think a lot of fundies use a lot of euphemisms. Paul and Morgan also, it can just, it can come off as very juvenile. It's what I imagine high schoolers who are allowed to date are like. And maybe that's part of why they gross me out so much. It is a bit like that. That's a good observation, I think. They want to remind everyone around them, it seems to me, that they have this relationship almost as like a status symbol, Hmm. which is very juvenile. I just remember, you know, I remember being 16. When I was 16, I thought I knew everything there was to know about everything. And I thought that my opinions were set in stone and were never going to change. And of course, Since then, my opinions have grown a lot and changed a lot, and I've hopefully grown a good bit. But Paul and Morgan kind of come off like they're still 16. Not only do they think that they are the experts on everything, but they also think that they are never going to change any of their thoughts. Yeah. They they still have that, like, youthful confidence that they're just probably should be growing out of by now. (laughs) So I was watching one video from them, and Paul says something like, and and this isn't a, a a terrible piece of advice right here, but then he follows it up with some just very bizarre overshare. Like so he says, when you're first having sex, don't expect like the real fire stuff to come right away. Uh, you have to kind of build up to it. You know what I'm saying? And then he sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot less toxic than the typical purity culture message of like don't ever have sex before marriage don't talk about it don't think about it don't do any research and then your wedding night is going to be the best sex of your like the best sex ever and nothing is as good as christian marriage yeah so what paul's saying is a lot less toxic than that i guess (laughs) right um and that's kind of what i'm comparing it to. it's not the worst piece of advice i've ever heard But then he follows it up with an example like, I shouldn't have brought out the whipped cream on our honeymoon. I made Morgan cry. And I'm just like, what? Oh, no. That. I feel bad for everybody involved. I don't feel bad for Paul. (laughs) No, I feel bad for myself because I had to hear him talk about it. That's who I feel bad for. Uh, Okay, sidebar. I'm sorry. I cannot stop my brain from doing this. How do you get whipped cream like on your honey like so how do you get whipped cream on your honeymoon because okay you can't just take a cool whip in a suitcase without refrigeration so it would have to be the can like spray kind of whipped cream but i guess that means that they had to drive to their honeymoon because you can't take a spray can through airport security or he stopped off at like a a walmart or a (laughs) 7-eleven on the way to the hotel (laughs) 
okay, yeah, I guess. That just seems like logistically complicated. A of all, when it comes to freaky bedroom stuff, I feel like whipped cream is is it's kind of tame. Sure, not- there are worse things that you could surprise a funny woman with on your honeymoon. Right. Like when especially if you're first getting used to just physical contact with somebody and you're not used to being naked in like the same room or like in close like like touching somebody else's naked but like maybe somebody suggested to it, it suggested it to him as like a bit of like a sexual icebreaker. I don't know. I still don't understand what you could do with whipped cream that might make your partner cry unless he like got it in, in her eyes or something by accident or Well, what Paul is implying is that she cried from being overwhelmed. A lot of religious brides cry on their wedding night. Like that's very, very normal. Because it is such a high and I think we've talked about this um related to some Duggar kids. It is such a high pressure situation. And you've been taught to be ashamed of your body and to never touch anybody. And you've been taught that your worth lies in your virginity. So now you are in a situation where it is not only maximum pressure to you're going to lose your virginity right now, but also everybody in your family and friends knows about it. And also you have been told that your worth is in your virginity. And now you are not going to have in like 20 minutes, you're not going to have any worth anymore. So it is really, really an emotionally sucky situation for a lot of AFAB people who are raised in purity culture. And Paul is implying that that was the situation, but I don't necessarily think that's what happened that made her cry. Interesting. What, what's your theory? And this is, this is conjecture. Paul has seemed very condescending in multiple videos about Morgan's prior sexual experience that I mentioned up at the top of the show. Even though Morgan has said that she felt pressured to have sex with her previous partner, and even though she says that she believes that God has forgiven her and restored her from that experience, Paul has really talked down to her about it. And it certainly appears to people who don't know them and are not in that relationship that it that he has made her feel less than over the whole situation. If he made her cry on the honeymoon, my money would be on him saying something insensitive about her previous experience. Like, hmm. hypothetically, maybe he pulls out the whipped cream and he says something stupid like, you're probably used to this because you've had sex before, but it's all new to me, so let's do this. Like, that is what I would see being the thing that made her cry. And they talked about this on video. Yeah. And then they talk about like the fact that she cried on video because they have to talk about everything, but they put this spin on it. Like, well, Morgan was almost a virgin. And like, you know, this is she, you know, she was just so overwhelmed by something as risque as whipped cream. And that's their spin. But I I think that Paul said something insensitive and that's what actually got her. See, I I just don't get him. I really, because either a, because they do talk about this all the time. They do talk about like like all the time. All the time. Like it's like either A, you insist on marrying somebody who is a virgin because you're both saving yourself for marriage, or B, you don't. And he decided to marry her knowing full well that she had sex with somebody who isn't him. Either you accept that and you move on and you grow the f up, or you don't. And you marry somebody else, but 
once you do, you can't keep using that as something to belittle and something to shame your partner for uh, because you're the one who made the decision to marry the person. And this is the person that you said that you want to be with. And you have to take and accept the entirety of that person. And you have to love the entirety of that person. And you can't say, well, I love you, but you're less valuable as a partner to me or as a person to me because of X thing that you've done that in no way affects our day-to-day lives. Like if you do, that's an extremely immature and like borderline abusive thing to do. That's terrible behavior. Right. And then to keep bringing it up publicly to reinforce that that person has less value, even though like your mouth is saying, oh, you're just as valuable to me, but I don't think that's what your actions are saying. Over and over Uh, and over again. God, I think hypothetically, someone might marry a person who is not a virgin because their past experiences give them a bargaining chip that they can potentially use to control them, hypothetically. Mm, That's that's really bad. That's like worse. Like, mm. and like, I haven't seen enough and have no desire to see enough of this content to try to make a call on if that could be true. But that's what a lot of people who have seen a lot of the content do think that is the situation that's going on here. But like every time they, they, they talk about sex all the time, that's like half their videos is I, it's all either like sex or transgender people or the devil or, the woke mob is coming to uh, uh, I Disney don't know. is woke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings is woke. Uh, it's just we will not bow to cancel culture. We lost our sponsorships with all of these companies because we're hateful people, and the companies found out that we were hateful people. We're being uh, persecuted. <laughs> I swear, if these people knew what it felt like to actually be persecuted for your beliefs or persecuted for something real, then they would like melt like ice cream on the sidewalk on a hot day. I swear. I fucking swear. I just no, like quite. So was Morgan raised in fundamentalism? Not like I was not like IFB or anything, but Morgan's parents are very conservative Christians for sure. I think they are also Pentecostals. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. I mean, no, like, I just keep thinking that there, like, there's no wonder that she struggles with her mental health because she's got a partner who is constantly and publicly bringing up her sexual history. And, like, all their videos are about sex. And in every single video, he's got to mention Morgan had sex with somebody who wasn't me, like, time and time and time and time and time again. And, you know, he's using that to devalue and shame her in front of all of their followers on YouTube and on Instagram. Like, Paul is obviously so bothered by this thing. It's like, you know, the red dot on the sweater in Seinfeld? Yes. It's like, it it, it is something that he just cannot let go of. Yes. And it's just like the most minuscule thing where just... So, but he decided he wanted the sweater anyway, but he still keeps complaining about the red dot. I feel like we could just go on and on with examples of Paul and Morgan's general behavior. Frankly, I find them boring. I, I don't want to do an entire episode on them. So what I want to do and before we move on to the other person we're talking about today is answer the simple question, are they truly fundy? And I think to answer that, you do have to go back to what is a fundy, 
we know from the BJU episode that fundamentalism was originally about the orthodox views of Protestantism, mostly relating to acceptance of certain doctrines pertaining to things like the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, but not of Mary, of course, the mechanics of how salvation happened and how salvation is dispensed to the people that get salvation. But as we discussed, fundamentalism morphed over decades to not just include those orthodox concepts, but also rules about how a person is supposed to live. And most importantly, the biggest factor in American mainstream Christian fundamentalism is the idea of separating oneself from people who don't believe the same thing as you or follow the same rules that you do. I definitely see Paul and Morgan following that doctrine of separation. Many of their videos are about separating themselves from the world. You know, we don't support BLM. We don't support trans people or non-binary people. We don't support woke Disney. We're celebrating Roe being overturned, so on and so forth. They illustrate that concept of separation quite a bit in their videos. Yeah, when I first saw them, I thought they were like the Wish.com Ginger and Jeremy. I mean, they kind of are, but I think their YouTube gets more views than Ginger and Jeremy, unless I'm wrong. I haven't checked. Ginger and Jeremy, I looked at Ginger and Jeremy's YouTube channel. They don't post videos that often. I feel like if Ginger and Jeremy post a YouTube video, then it's it's like, it's going to bang no matter what because they're ginger and jeremy whereas paul and morgan have to grind it out and do all these dumb videos about kamala harris using pronouns in the beginning of of some (sighs) so paul and morgan have one hundred and fifty six thousand subscribers on youtube i don't think ginger and jeremy have that many but i can check no but they never post that's the thing. Right. Like if Ginger and Jeremy's posted like started posting like once a month, they would eclipse the out of Paul and Morgan. That's the that's the thing. Like Paul and Morgan are just like garbage tier content creators who have to make videos constantly in order to for for the algorithm to like them because their content isn't actually that interesting. Like yeah. and all of their videos are like a half hour long or longer. It's nuts. Like I can't I I I can imagine people just like clicking on the video and then skipping through to the part that they actually want to see. It can't be good for ad revenue. It really can't. Yeah. Just. Ginger and Jeremy have 41,000 subscribers, by the way. Yeah. Back to, so back to the fundy thing though. One interesting thing that adds to Paul and Morgan's fundy points is that they subscribe to a lot of teachings about women submitting to men um, like very, very much complementarianism and even leaning just a little bit towards patriarchy. So they talk about, you know, women should be submissive to their husbands. Women don't want sex as much as men do. Women shouldn't say no if their husbands want sex. They've talked about Morgan making a sex schedule to make sure that Paul gets it every other day. Uh, and they talked oh. online recently about how they were in the middle of a fight and Paul apparently wanted to pause the fight, have sex, and then go back to the fight. And then he got mad at Morgan because she didn't want to do that. So, on one hand... Wow! Being intentional... What? Yeah. Wait, wait, for real? They talked about this on their... Yeah. What? That is bonkers. That is... And he thinks that that is like a normal thing to do to the extent that he would post about it on the internet. I don't like... To demand sex from your extremely pregnant wife in the middle of having a disagreement. 
Like that is his level of this is normal and I should talk about it. This man is the this is this man is so snarkable i'm gonna like i'm i I watched some of their content i didn't get this far into it because frankly i'll watch like five minutes of a video and i'll just be like no i'm out this this sucks get me or like i'll skip i can watch like clips of them i cannot sit and watch through their videos there's oh my that is what that is something huh (laughs) It's that's not to the level of I moved my two week postpartum wife across the country for uh, Jesus for Jesus, but that is pretty bad. That um, is pushing it, my guy. Wow. So I I wanted I want to be clear, like being intentional about like a we we you know we struggle to make time for connection in our relationship and. You know, we have to schedule time to intentionally make connections. And some people, some people really do well with like planning to have sex uh, at certain times, like people in long term relationships. I know that there are people that that really works for. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. It does seem a little eyebrow raising coming from two people with no full time jobs between the two of them. But you know, whatever works for you. Some couples really do have to like schedule out time to make connections. I guess it's a good thing that devil's advocate for me, Morgan, it does not feel religiously required to never say no to her husband. She can say we're in the middle of of a fight and I'm not doing that. So she's got it better than a lot of ultra fundy women. But they have definitely latched on to a ton of fundy and fundy light ideas about men needing sex and women being obligated to give it to them. That is so bo- Imagine this, like, we need to pause this fight. I'm horny. That's, that is yes, a brand you, new sentence. You being extremely pregnant and very mad at me is the hottest thing. <laughs> I mean, I respect it. <laughs> no, I mm. again, this is, this is, I, I'm a man who has a crush on Anna Delvey, so who? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if your opinions are valid here. So, this has been kind of a roundabout discussion of who Paul and Morgan are, and it, I, I have not yet explained to our listeners how I'm going to tie this all together. So, I hope people are still hanging with us. We're going to go take up the offering. When we get back, we're going to talk about a very different type of fundy influencer. Uh, I don't think that these people could be any more different in the way that they use social media, but I promise I will tell you why they're in the same episode. Cool, cool, cool. So, so by the way, I'm dropping in from the future. I checked the, I checked the Paul and Morgan Instagram and there's new Paul and Morgan now. Yeah, because of the, the this is this is with the delivery. Because we're recording like literally it's, while she's in labor. So is she in labor yet? She's Have, not okay. She's not actually in labor. Her water broke, and she is trying to get into labor. Mm. And she's making Instagram stories like chronicling this process, which is fine. Um, but she is talking about. Her water is broken, but she's not in active labor, which if you have had a baby, you know that once your water breaks, you need to get into active labor, you know, not over the course of days. It it needs to be roughly within 24 hours for most people. You know, you don't want to 
sit around having your water broken for like days and days. So she's talking about, well, my midwife had a plan for things that we can do to get labor started. And Paul starts making this nasty like eyebrow wiggle at the camera. Yes. And he is trying to force her to say he is trying to manipulate her into saying something that she does not want to say. And it, it's gross um, because if you've had and I had to explain this to Gavi. <laughs> I, I didn't know about this. Sadie had to explain this to me. This is like a, a very new concept to me, which is. Yeah, just- I had to I had to explain some things to Gavi. If you've had a baby, um, you probably are already following me. If you haven't, having sex is one thing that midwives will often recommend to get labor started naturally. Um, it's among among many other things, but it's one thing that is typically recommended. Like, well, try this and see if that gets you really started. And Paul is trying to force her to say that on camera, and she clearly does not want to. And it's it's very awful. I don't like it. He's got these, like, he's, like, looking at it with the eyebrows. He's like, I'm going to get some tonight. Like, that's mm-hmm. very clearly, like, like, once you know that, like, you look at him, you're like, oh, that is what that means. It and is- it's like your, li- your wife is doing the most amazing thing that a human being is capable of doing. She is doing the equivalent of running a marathon physically. She is carrying your child. She is about to bring your child into the world. And what your mind is on is like, oh, I'm going to get some. You know, this is this is one of those things like this can be a funny joke between partners. Like if you and your partner are about to have a baby and the medical team recommends, well, why don't you try having sex to see if that speeds up your labor? And you and your partner want to giggle about it. That's totally fine. Like, I can totally see there are a lot of couples that that would be funny and you would want to, like, have a little giggle about it with your partner. That's that's great and fine. Um, Trying to force your partner, who is clearly embarrassed and does not want to say that, to say it on camera to 31,000 people is not fine. Because like he's the, he's like excited about it, and I do I do want to pull this in to the whole Brian Save or whatever that guy's name is on Twitter. You remember this dude? He posted like, ladies, don't ever post revealing pictures, even if it's a birth photo, even if it's a pregnancy photo, even if it's to celebrate your weight loss. Just don't do it. You're tempting oh, your brothers yeah. and eyes. Do you remember this? Yes, yes, yes. Like three months ago or whatever. And this just creep- it, it creeped me out so much because when giving birth and when talking about weight, um, giving birth is incredibly physically and emotionally vulnerable. And talking about weight and weight loss and showing off weight loss is also incredibly emotionally vulnerable for many people. So this guy is talking about having uncontrollable sexual attraction to women who are in their most vulnerable moments. And that just continues to st- to send chills down my spine every time I talk about it. He's, he, I mean, he just seems like he's controlling in a weirdo. But I, I am, I would bet money on Paul having reposted that tweet and agreed with the guy yeah, being turned on by like, oh, I'm gonna get something that I want. Um, when your when your wife is in the most physically and emotionally vulnerable condition that she is capable of being in, uh, that is creepy. Yeah, I mean, because he's the one doing the insinuation. She's just <laughs> like, yeah, we've got some plans to try to get labor started, and then he's like, 
yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah. Weird. It's so cringe. There's so many people like it's so public. It's so extremely public. Just like like, your parents are on this Instagram, my dude. And also sex is not by far the only thing that you can attempt to do to get to if you're trying to start labor naturally, like without medications, like you can walk with one foot up on a curb and the other foot down on the street or the sidewalk. There are tons and tons of different things you can eat and like supplements you could try. There, there is a laundry list of things that you can do. That is just one of the things that you can do. Yeah, he's being intentionally gross and really making, clearly making her uncomfortable on camera. That's he all. He just wants to make sure that you know, like in no uncertain terms, what he's doing tonight. Just to make sure, like, I mean, he's he's probably not going to 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 get any again for a number of weeks. So he just wants to make you sh- make sure that you know that he got one last one in before. Yeah, I hope he suffers for the next six to 12 weeks. Yeah, this man, like... Thinking about Paul uh, participating in marital activities is 100 times grosser to me than thinking about Jack Scott participating in marital activities. Just that goofy look on his face, man. I feel like his eyebrows are doing that the whole time. Um, You're okay. Uh, Can we move on to the rest of our episode before you make me sick? Yeah, okay. My husband is, is making me food right now, and I would like to enjoy it. Okay. Okay. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you ever get stuck in the wrong mindset? I know when I have social commitments and production deadlines bearing down on me, it can be easy to focus on problems instead of solutions. It can be difficult to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, but when you learn how to find your own solution, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to achieve your goals, no matter the size of the task at hand. Therapy has helped me focus on small and doable steps that I can take in my life to improve my situation, 
and the benefits have been astounding. I find myself thinking more clearly and expressing myself more effectively. I have also used therapy to find healthier ways to express my emotions rather than keeping them all inside. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Eden today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Eden. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back from our break. Uh, you know what we need, Sadie? We need the palate cleanser from Paul and Morgan. Let's talk about somebody who is A, less terrible, and B, more interesting. Okay, so we are going to talk about... Kelly Haven Stickle. Her uh, Instagram is Kelly Havens Ohio. And she turned up a lot on the Fundy Snark subreddits. And I didn't really pay much attention to her until recently. But when I did start learning about her, I learned some things that made her somebody I wanted to talk about this week before we get to next week's topic. She is significantly more interesting than Paul and Morgan. She, she is, is definitely more interesting. I would say that I think that Kelly is much more relatable than Paul and Morgan. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Well, I didn't see her as relatable until I really started doing some deep dives into her past social media content. And then it all made sense. So Kelly is a lifestyle influencer who does cottagecore type, very aesthetic Instagram. So mostly she will post a picture and then she will write a caption that talks about the beauty of slow living or something that she feels that God has been speaking to her about lately and some Bible verses and the beauty of biblical womanhood and stay at home motherhood and homesteading. And like, that's her niche. Kelly was not always fundy. She was studying English at Kenton College, and it seems very sudden that she went down this 1800s cosplay Christian influencer path. And I need to say this in no uncertain terms. Her Instagram grid is fire. Okay. A like, she is aesthetic AF. Every picture looks good and not in like a basic influencer way. Like, sh her pictures have good composition, good lighting. The set piece, like her house and and her where where she lives, the that as like a set piece, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. she knows how to set up a shot and she knows how to commit to a theme because she dresses almost completely in clothing that would work on the set of an Anne of Green Gables movie or TV show. There's a good reason for why her grid 
is very aesthetically cohesive. Why is that? So Kelly was uh, like an artsy flicker girl. And I should note, an oh. actually talented photographer for almost 10 years before she started doing whatever it is that she's doing now. So just for the record, whatever it is that she's doing now is romanticizing every detail of her life while living in an old house and wearing like late 800, late 1800s prairie cosplay. She will like use a butternut squash as a decoration in her house. And then, which is not in itself inherently super cringe. What is super cringe is that she will write a massively wordy Instagram caption about that's like very flowery and very formal about the goodness of God to bring in the harvest and may God ripen me to be the fruits of his kingdom like this butternut squash is the perfect harvest of my garden and my home. And as I raise my children, may God bring them into full bloom as well through the power. Like that's how she writes about this stuff. Also, she, her bread is really bad. I just, I just have to say that. Um, I mean, you're a baker, so you can judge I, people on that. That's I am a baker. Her bread is snarkable. A lot of things about her are not. Her bread is snarkable. She's recently been known for putting dandelions in food. The flowers or the greens? The flowers. The, greens. the flowers. It's safe. People ate a lot of dandelions during the Depression. It's safe. It's just like slightly odd. And then it's really odd when she's writing about how... These flowers bring to mind the sunshine of God's love and like a 500 word caption about it. Like everything is an object lesson. Uh, yeah, but like to an extreme previously unknown to the fundies, like not even Bill Gothard can make object lessons like this. Kelly has also been known for less than safe baby raising. I think that baby proofing just really messes up her 1800s aesthetic that she's going for. She tied a carrot. She, she has like weird, she has a baby mobile, like a thing that you put the baby on the floor and hang things over their head for them to play with. I had one of those for Chuck, but hers is like a rustic stick and she hung a carrot on it. And like the carrot was the baby's entertainment. Again, like this, this isn't that far off the beaten path. It's the way she writes about it. That's odd. She also has a podcast where she talks about God's grand dreams for her life and finding the beauty in everyday things in extremely flowery and rambly language. Does she have guests on or is it just her? As far as I know, it's just her. I have not listened to this because I don't have the attention span. Uh, she also talks about her life in rural Ohio. Much like the Plaths, she lives on a, in a house on the edge of town. But the way that she sets up her shots, she really wants to make it look like she's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, so I'm going to be totally honest, Sadie, is that I don't like or feel good about snarking on her. That's just my my personal opinion. I want to put you at ease. We have done most of the snark that we're going to do on her at this point in the episode. Okay. There were a few things that I just had to get out there. But most of the rest of this is going to be a little bit deeper than snark. Having done some research on her, I think we can do some work on figuring out who she is and why she is this way and really humanize her. I am not willing to give up snarking on the snarkable because I think it's funny that a person sets up an entire camera shot and an entire lifestyle to look like an 1800s farm aesthetic 
and then photoshops out her ring doorbell. I think it's ironic. I think it's funny. Or a person who posts like nothing but like biblical womanhood and domestic goddess and homemaker type content, but her bread looks so bad when she's like on my way of life that is not slow living and not homesteady and not domestic goddessy and like looking down on people who maybe look like me but my bread is fantastic. Your bread is fantastic. Can confirm. Like, I think that's fair for me to poke fun at people who make their entire brand about homemaking and biblical womanhood and can't make bread. I think that's fair. That's snarkable. And it's, I, I just personally, I think it's fair game. But there's a lot more than snark to Kelly. And we're going to get into it. So her whole dealio, the the reason why people follow her, it's it's because she's so fully committed to this lifestyle. But so there there is the religious component to it as well. It's not just like the religious component isn't just there for aesthetic. Oh right, definitely the the religion um is religion is definitely a huge part of her daily life. She's Kelly is like the the daddy god type of religious, but like wrapped up in vintage aesthetic. However, the re- I don't think the religion is not causing the cottage core thing, nor is the cottage co- cottage core influencer thing causing the religion. It's two separate though related things. D- does that making sense? Like she's not religious for the aesthetic, nor is she performing the aesthetic for her religion. It's just two things about her that are interconnected. So what do you mean by daddy God? Oh, okay. Uh, There's a whole subset of Christians, and I think this has probably always existed, but it's really trendy right now. They get into super, super into Bible verses about God being our father, God wanting to have a very personal and intimate and daily relationship with us. And this expresses itself in a lot of uh, poetic sentiments about being a child of God. And it often it gets to the point of like romanticizing everything that happens in your life as being from God or a lesson about God and like really projecting um, God as your literal father who is who is as accessible to you or more accessible to you as your literal birth father is. And this is this is not uncommon. Um, that is not just Kelly doing this. Huh. This is like what Paul and Morgan were talking about with the license plates. Yeah, like that plus a whole bunch of like God's personal love for and attention on you. So Kelly has this kind of view of God that makes her believe that she has a daily give and take communication with God, that she is very special to God. So a big part of this belief is like God loves you uniquely. I've heard the analogy used of humanity is like a Ben and Jerry's. Is that who has Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors? Like humanity is like a Baskin Robbins shop and every God is like the customer, but every flavor is his favorite. Like he loves you for exactly who you are and knows all of the things that make you special and you are God's favorite child. Like every Christian is God's favorite child and God's favorite person. And God wants to spend time with you every single day, all of the time. And like God is lonely if you don't talk to him. (laughs) It seems manipulative. But God, so Kelly believes that she is God's favorite, like super, super special to God, just like all people who love God are. 
and that God wants her to do specific things, and God tells her certain things and gives her insights about this grand mission that she is supposed to do for God. Kelly also believes that her highest calling in life is to be a full-time mom and homemaker. It just so happens that she's got a good eye for photography and a writing degree and a commitment to a cottagecore aesthetic. No wonder she has anxiety, though. Like, this is like, it's the perfect storm of, like, the toxic self-policing beliefs and also, she has to live this very high-stress lifestyle. I mean, she says it's slow living, but it's... It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And she's got two small children. Is she doing laundry by, like, w- with, like, a washboard and, and hanging out to dry? Or is she... Does she have a washing machine? Or, or what's going on? Like, I don't know if she has a washing machine, actually. Hmm. Good question. Because that'd be really rough if she's, you know, having to, if, if she has small children, she doesn't have a washing machine. That's. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I have one small child and an apartment laundry room downstairs, and that is bad enough. So that, so when I say like the religion and the cottage core thing, they aren't causing each other. The religion is causing the homemaker thing. Like she has talked about how she had dreams of having a career and then decided not to go for that because of her religious belief that she should be a stay-at-home mom. So like the religion is causing the homemaker thing, but it's not causing the cottage core aesthetic and it's not causing like the social media posting of this aesthetic. I see it more like Kelly is an intensely creative person who needs a creative outlet, but the only thing she's allowed to do by her own religious beliefs is homemaking. So she has to turn homemaking into her creative outlet with the tools that she has on hand, which are the tools of photography and writing that she gained in her past pre-fundy life. So do we know what caused the major lifestyle shift? Okay, so (laughs) I did a deep dive into Kelly's Tumblr. I thought that this would be like a segment of our episode, and it turns out that this is going to be the rest of our episode. (laughs) So Mm. her Tumblr goes all the way back to December 2009, right around the time she turned 16. And I found so much. This made everything about her make sense for me. So we Mm. start in December 09 when she would have been like the month she turned 16. And we okay, start so with she's like the same age as us. She is, yeah. She's one. She's like ten months younger than me, but she graduated high school the next year because she was born in December. So she graduated in 2012, and we both graduated in 2011. The Tumblr starts with a lot of very typical teenage girl stuff, and I don't mean that in any derogatory way. What I mean is, my Tumblr. If I'd been allowed to have Tumblr, mine would have probably looked a lot like this. A lot like this. (laughs) Turns out Kelly and I have a lot in common. Um, So there's a decent amount of religion mixed into her posts from the beginning. And she'll occasionally post a a Bible verse or some religious concept that she's been thinking about or even um, occasionally religious art. But most most of her content on there is not that. Most of her content is like artsy pictures, pictures, like the kind of stuff that I was putting on my pieces of flair on Facebook at the same time. Wow. <laughs> which also I'm aging myself because listeners Claire younger than Facebook. me probably have no clue what that was. <laughs> yeah. It's like the poke button or Ugh, the freaking poke button. How you flirted with people before. How you flirted you... on Facebook if you're about 30. <laughs> so 
We've got artsy pictures, like overdeveloped artsy pictures of Converse tennis shoes. Uh, quotes from Perks of Being a Wallflower. We've got Mun- Mumford and Sons songs. We've got aesthetic type pictures, like girls, like models floating underwater with long flowing hair, like that sort of thing. Um, a lot of pictures that Kelly shot. And a good number of those are selfies and self-portraits. And they look great. They look amazing. She has a fantastic photographer. She clearly has both a natural talent and has put in a lot of work into photography. She also writes a good bit on there, kind of a mix of like journal entries and kind of thoughts about the world. And she's developing her worldview. She's very precocious with her writing style. Lots of big like dictionary words, very advanced language skills. She talks about how much she hates being a teenager, how she wants to grow up and get on with her life, how she doesn't like school and how she feels like an outsider. Once again, very relatable. Extremely. This could have been my account. Uh, This is very me as a 16 year old. So one post that I found extremely relevant from the early days of her Tumblr was a text post in which she wrote, I can't believe this. I have to make myself immature to have friends. That's not fair. I I kind of feel you there, Kelly. I relate to the frustration that many people want to have casual and seemingly meaningless conversation to get to know you before they want to share their heart and soul with you and sit out under the stars and talk about the meaning of the universe. Like, I get the feeling like feeling like I have to dumb myself down for the people around me. Like, whether that feeling is accurate or not, I felt the feeling and I would have gotten that as a 16-year-old. Question. Do you have any friends who, like, their thing is they just say, I don't do small talk? Yes. And also, sometimes I am that person when it's an appropriate situation. To me, this just reads as introverted, you know? Like, like the, the kind of people who uh, say, I don't really want to have to talk to other people unless it's something important. Which is just how some people are. Or like, I don't want to have conversations with people unless we're going to talk about something that I feel like I need to say or or have a conversation that I feel like I need to have. Yeah, it sounds like she's just getting really frustrated with conversations that she believes to be meaningless. And I think that's understandable. Especially if you're that age, man. People are talking about such bullshit. Like... Yeah. So, you know, her her peers are bringing up TV shows or that she doesn't watch and sports that she doesn't follow and the St. Louis Cardinals and she's just not <laughs> not interested. So there are a lot of asks about her college and career plans. Kelly says that she wants to be a stay-at-home mom and make her kids her priority, but that she would like to also be a writer or a photographer or an English teacher on the side. She talks about wanting to go to Kenton College and blogs about the application process and how she hopes that she'll get in. There's a good bit of just fairly normal teenage angst. I really hate how our society devalues teenagers and specifically teenage girls and stereotypes them as vapid, ignorant, selfish, shopping-obsessed, one-dimensional, half-human people. The last thing I want to do is brush off these posts as that. This is a human being who has very deep and valid feelings that are not abnormal. These feelings are definitely amplified by hormones and life changes inherent to being a teenager. Like, she's feeling her feelings, and she's got big feelings, but I refuse to dehumanize someone because they are a teenage girl. 
the idea that like teen girls are over dramatic and and just nothing they say can be taken seriously that's an idea that i really hate and that's got to be difficult too because on one hand you're an object of derision and your feelings don't matter the things that you might be going through not taken seriously they're not real and on the other hand you're also being hypersexualized like especially like mm-hmm. if you're in if you're raised in like a, a super christian environment then you're being held up as this ideal of sexual purity so your entire value is is in your sexual purity and that's extremely like right because teenage girls in society in general are told that their thoughts are worthless and then if you're in a culture of misogyny and purity culture in addition to that then you are worthless except for your purity. And if you choose to have sex or if you don't choose to have sex and someone rapes you or assaults you, then you have lost your worth and have none. It, the whole thing is awful and a lot of us are still still recovering. And it's so unsurprising that Kelly seems to be too. And I will get to in a minute what insights this gives about religion in her upbringing. She reblogged a post that said, Quote, I'm going to fix myself right now. I'm tired of hating things. I have the ability to change. I'm going to start believing in the seemingly impossible. I'm going to start trusting in God's words at this very moment. And damn, if that isn't something I could have written at that exact same time in history. She's writing this sometime in 2010. And that constant cycle of like, I'm going to do better. I have to do better. I'm going to force myself to do better. Wow. There's nothing more relatably teenage than I hate everything and I feel like that's my fault. This just could have been lifted from my diary in 2010. I feel like Kelly and I would have been friends, which probably would have been pretty toxic, but I feel like we would have been friends. No, because I'm none of. Because for those who have never seen my natural hair color, I'm a natural brunette, so I could have been Diana and she would have been Anne. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I like we would have been like I'm like very pale and dark hair like Diana and that would have just been us. Kelly wrote in a different post, all of the major problems in my life come from myself again. Very teenage. <clears throat> she goes on a couple rants that seem like they're going to veer into like very bad eating disorder territory. She describes some eating disorder behavior that she is doing. I do not want to be dismissive of this. I would say it's very much on a level with what almost every teenage girl that I knew in 2010 was doing. I think I knew so few people that didn't at least dabble in those behaviors. And then for some people, it became a more consuming behavior and they developed an eating disorder and they needed to, they needed help for that. And then other people toxic ideas stuck in their head and they still struggle with negative thoughts, but it did not progress to the extent that it did with the first group of people. Kelly seems to be a part of the second group. It didn't seem to become a major theme in her life. This, These thoughts and the things that she describes do pop back up when she's in college, uh, but it never seems to like take her over, which is fortunate unless it did and she decided not to talk about it further on tumblr which i wouldn't think because she talks about a lot on tumblr she talks about the difference between her public self and her private inner world which again that is being a teenager dude (laughs) 
She is trying to figure out who she is and how she wants to present herself to a world that feels like it's not made for people like her and a world that feels like it's not taking her seriously. Once again, extremely relatable. This is right. <laughs> these are are very re- like even if she wasn't a teenager and she was saying these, like this is these are these are well, human thoughts that human people. These are human thoughts. Like I am <laughs> so glad I did this because this humanized her in such a powerful way for me, and it, it really led me to some insights about what I think is going on with her. Yeah, I see. I see people snarking on her on the Fundy Snark Uncensored subreddit and just saying like mean sh. Like I'm just like the. F- you, you know, know like, what? some of this, I mean, I, it's, some of the stuff she does is super snark worthy. Some of sure. it, some of it really is. And the, and the way she writes like as an adult is pretty snark worthy. I don't know. I feel like she just kind of has, she just kind of romanticizes, uh, you know, the, the 18th and 19th century and, you know, Americana in that point like americana and at the style of literary prose or whatever yeah in that era and that's just like that that's really something that she sees herself in you know let's uh we'll we'll get to that i have some stuff to say about that uh well i have to go back i have to keep we have to keep this chronological you know how i am about chronological stuff (laughs) Oh, absolutely. So I want to note that at this point, so we're talking mid-2010, she's extremely active on both Flickr and Tumblr, and she has what really seem like solid online friendships on both sites. Online friendships are real friendships. I just want to say that. And she has people who check in on her mental health and like check in on how she's doing and send nice notes back and forth to each other. I looked at her Tumblr for just to take some data. I was not going to count every single month because I am obsessive, but I am not that obsessive. I I felt like May 2010 was a good representative data set. I counted her post in May 2010 and she posted 111 times that month. Wow. Yeah. So she's active and engaging with people she people ask her a lot of questions she responds to them religion is never absent from her posts the entire archive that i looked at from 20 2009 all the way up to like 2013 2014 there is a gradual consistent growth of what percentage of her posts are related to religion in the beginning it's there but it's almost none it's it's there but it's a very low percentage of her posts as we get through the years, it's a greater and greater percentage. It becomes more a part of what she is on Tumblr to talk about over time. Someone asked her when she was saved, and I thought her answer was really revealing. Uh, She says it was a very young age, so she doesn't know the date, but she remembers being about five. She was in timeout because she had done something wrong, and she's sitting in the attic. I'm going to read a quote from her post about this. My parents had yelled at me for something, and I knew I was guilty, and it was just all too much. For some reason, I just could not stop crying. The rest is a blur, but I know that I prayed, and before I fell asleep, I promised to myself, we will never forget this moment ever, and I never have, so I have a good feeling that was it. It referring to her salvation. So what's your reaction to this? Well, for one, uh, the fact that she is responding to what is the moment of your salvation tells me about what denominations of Christians she might have been raised as. That's generally a Baptist-ish idea. 
the idea that there is a precise moment of salvation. Other denominations tend to think of salvation as a process that begins when you become a Christian and ends at your death. But the more Protestant you get and the more, like, the closer to Baptist you get, the more likely you are to think of salvation as a moment in time. And this, and she backs up this idea of like getting saved as a, as a thing that you do, not as a lifelong process of sanctification. She backs that up in a lot of her other posts about religion. I also think later when she talks about mental health stuff more, I had to think back to this poor five-year-old who can't stop crying because she doesn't say, I know I did X thing. I know I lied. I know I took cookies out of the cookie jar. She said, I knew I was guilty. And that is a real harsh word for a five-year-old to be applying to themselves. So one that leads me to to conclusions about what type of child she might have been, but also children don't typically apply that kind of language to themselves unless it is being taught to them by someone else. So moving through to the end of 2010, she is starting to find beef with internet strangers over religion more often. As far as clues towards her fundiness, she posts Bible verses that are not King James. She mentions a woman giving a sermon or a talk at her church. So her church has not female pastors, but females and women in leadership. And of course, she's posting videos and images of herself wearing jeans, wearing normal swimwear, that sort of thing. On the other hand, she also made a post around this time defending what I would call light complementarianism. She took a fair bit of flack over her views on LGBT people. I didn't come across her original post on the topic on Tumblr. It may have been something that happened on Flickr or another website that she was responding to on Tumblr, or I could just be Tumblr illiterate. But the response that she wrote to someone who challenged her on it is, quote, a gay person who is a believer will still go to heaven if they act on their feelings. But if the person truly loved and understood God, they would have a desire to do what he desires, which is to not act on those feelings. God would give them the strength to do so. So this is t- yeah. this is maybe a little bit ahead of the time, a little bit ahead of that time period in Christianity. I'm sure that there were progressive and affirming Christians in 2010, <laughs> um, but this this view is more mainstream now than it was then. I am pretty sure about that. So she's saying that even if you are LGBT and even if you do choose to have non-hetero sex, then you can still be saved and go to heaven. That even if you are a believer who still chooses to do that, you will still go to heaven, but that you really shouldn't and you should ask God for the strength not to. And I know that that kind of sounds to us. <laughs> Like, from yeah, our point of view, that's still a pretty sh- thing to say. But from the view of, like, the Christianity that I knew in 2010, that's pretty good. That's uh, b- better than a lot of even, like, fundy light people would have been saying at the time. So people are also, people ask about salvation. That's another thing that she kind of gets into Tumblr beef about. So they're asking her questions like, if I'm a good person, why would God send me to hell? And she's answering based on her faith, which gives another window into her theological bent. She never mentions exactly what denomination she was or is. But when I put it all together, my best guess would be like American Baptist, maybe, or an offshoot of the American Baptist Convention. Pretty mainstream. Yeah, so the American Baptist is, is, um, they split with the Southern Baptist Convention over 
slavery. So they're very similar roots, the same roots as the Southern Baptist Convention, but they split off 170 years ago and have taken their own separate ways since. That would be my guess. It could certainly be a lot of other denominations, but that's kind of where my gut reaction would be, which would, which I would solidly put at Fundy Light. You know, these are kids who are going to be told, well, you can hold hands and kiss a little bit before you get married, but you've got to save your purity for marriage. You can go to a, a G-rated movie or maybe PG, but you shouldn't go to PG-13 or R-rated movies. You know, you can wear, you can wear jeans and you can wear a one-piece bathing suit, but you probably shouldn't wear a two-piece. That is where I am guessing she grew up. Someone asks her why she believes in God or when she became a Christian. And she talks about, well, my parents raised me Christian, but it didn't really stick for me until I was in about eighth grade. Uh, she talks about going through a huge time of a huge phase of doubt, as she says, in middle school. And then in eighth grade, she says, she left most of her friends because they were immature and went on a quest for truth. And I'll quote the, the second half of her post here. And I can honestly say, God just took my heart into his hands and changed my life. Now I can feel him using my mind for him on a daily basis. It's such an amazing feeling. Ever since then, he has always separated me from my peers in the way I think. I've just seen mm -hmm. him work through my gifts directly to glorify him. He has opened so many doors for me, and I'm continually shocked that he chooses me to be a witness in so many ways, and that in, that in itself has been such proof of his existence and love. So God exists because God makes me feel feelings, and God wants me to be his personal person who works for him, and God tells me what to do and has a mission for me. Do do you think that her decision, because this this eighth grade th about that age, that's also about the time that she's separating herself from her friends because of their drama or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this has to do with the expectation on a lot of religious children that they basically be sort of like mini adults? Or is she just an eighth grader who's totally over it? I don't think she was raised religious enough to have that expectation of being a mini adult. I think she is just a very book smart, precocious teenager who is, like most teenagers, looking for something deeper and bigger than the life that they had as a kid, like figuring out the transition between childhood and adulthood. I think it's also worth pointing out that I don't think religious people are the only ones that are expected to be like mini adults, because I also had a lot of those sorts of expectations placed on me growing up. And so the friend drama, that sort of thing, I also felt like I was not allowed to engage with those sorts of things, that it would be beneath me that, you know, or that, you know, if I came to my parents or something and said that I wanted that I was having a problem in school with, you know, X, Y, Z thing that was happening, they would be disapproving of that because the me even being involved with any sort of disagreement that petty would have been beneath me and just but um I mean, if anything though that reminds me of when you're talking about going to christian church camp because it does seem like it's the church taking advantage of these big feelings at that age the so i don't agree and the reason that i don't is that it doesn't seem like church is very much a part of her life 
It's not her parents are not making her go to church and she's definitely not what we would call fundy. We don't see the strict rules. She never mentions modesty at this point. She has a lot of freedom at home. She exercises. She enjoys running and biking. She goes to normal school. So at worst, fundy light. To back this up, there's a story she tells about her mom leaving her behind. So the mom is running late for church and Kelly wants to go with her. But Kelly doesn't get ready quickly enough and the mom leaves her behind in the driveway. This tells us that her parents aren't forcing her to go to church. Her parents are going to church and Kelly is choosing to go with and choosing. That was a midweek service that her mom was running late for. So Kelly is even choosing to go to extra church in the middle of the week. Really? So she's really into this. Yeah, Kelly is getting something out of church. Also, her reaction when she gets left in the driveway and doesn't make it to church on time, her reaction is not shame for missing church or feeling like she's going to be in trouble with church leaders or that God's going to be mad at her because she missed church. It's nothing like that. Her reaction is, I needed church today. I needed the peace and quiet. I needed to sit in the sanctuary and feel like everything was okay. So this does not seem like church is being presented to her as the only solution. I think church is something that she is seeking seeking out as her coping mechanism to deal with the mental struggles of being a teenager. And like, I, I did this. I got like legitimately into church because it was my coping mechanism to make me feel like everything was okay when things were not okay with me. So Kelly also has a big crush on some boy at church. Uh, he's a bit older, but nothing concerning. Um, she's 16, 17, and he's like 19, 20. He's a freshman in college. So that's a that's a pretty normal age gap, especially for people who are planning on not having sex. I don't really see much of an issue with that. She writes about really wanting to get married and have a family, and she writes about not having sex until marriage. So maybe she's also using church as a way to get to hang out with this guy. And she might also be using church as like to handle or contextualize the crush that she has on this guy. I think this is, I think this same boy turns out to be her husband now, Levi. By 2012, the summer after her senior year, she is definitely with Levi because she's posting pictures of herself and Levi together. But this boy who's in college, she's really romanticizing it because she's talking about like, I'm in love with him and he says he's in love with me and we both believe that we're meant for each other, but we can't be together because he's in college and I'm not out of high school yet. And so they just have to wait. Right. And she's like really romanticizing that like waiting period and every little interaction she gets to have with him, which seems like a normal teenager. (laughs) As we move into late 2010 and early 2011, she's turned 17. We do get more insights into conflicts with her parents. They really want her, it seems like, to straighten up and be a bit more normal, kind of, you know, rein in those big emotions and kind of act, act normal is what they want from her. There's one post where her parents are encouraging her to enter writing contests to look good on college admissions, and Kelly says, no, I'm going to write a whole book instead. Imagine how great that'll look on college admissions. And the parents are like, no, that's not a normal teenage thing to do. Just, like, be normal and write these writing like writing contest submissions and, like, stop being so extra. And it turns into a whole screaming, yelling fight between her and her parents. Dude, this is the most relatable conflict. I swear I had this, like, not this exact same argument, but, like, similar arguments with my parents dozens of times. I'm telling you, she is not abnormal at this point. 
She is a very normal, melodramatic teenager having very real and normal big feelings about real and normal teenage problems and posting about them on the internet. The only thing that's anything other than completely average about her is that she's using religion as one of her coping mechanisms to get through these big feelings. Yeah, man. Like the whole you need to do X thing because it will look good on college admissions was an ever-present factor in literally everything that I did as soon as I turned 14. Like I was constantly being told you need to have these grades and these classes and you need to do X number of extracurriculars because colleges like to see X, Y, and Z like by the counselor, by my parents, by, you know, whoever. Um, But then at the same time, it was just like, well, they also want to make sure that you've got a personality and creativity and that you're not just a robot, but make sure that you have X grades and you're doing X number of extracurriculars because that's what they're going to It's just like, mm-hmm. make sure that you do all of the things, but make sure that you do all of the things perfectly and exactly in the way that they want you to do them. But make sure you show your own personality too. Like it was- right. <laughs> And you're like, I'm a teenager. I don't I don't know what my personality is other than I don't want to do this. It was honestly, it was mentally exhausting. I feel for Kelly so badly. She's just like, no, I want to write this book. This is what I want. And her parents are like, enter this writing competition. She doesn't want to be in a f-ing competition. She just wants to express herself. That's right. And really she's an like- incredibly expressive person. She's just, she's a big personality. And okay, her big personality is kind of wacky sometimes. It's out there. She's a big personality. She's also introverted. Yes, they exist. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then like she's got, she's kind of caught in this back and forth. It seems like her parents may have also had concern for her mental health. This post is really long in typical Kelly fashion, but I think it's worth reading the whole thing. Uh, I'm going to go quick. So if you need to slow me down on the record or on the, on the podcast app, feel free. Yeah. Go to (laughs) 0.75. I think people do that for me anyway. (laughs) I had a listener message me like, why do you talk so fast? It's because of the editing. I chop all the dead air out of between the. I do. I do speak quickly, but I've tried to slow down. Okay. This is the post from Kelly about her parents' potential concern for her mental health. Once a young girl's parents reveal to her that they think her suffering is contradictory, they bring up phrases of hers that have confused them over the past few months. They say something like, If you knew God, you would have peace and understanding. But she knows herself and that her suffering cannot be understood without an elaborate explanation of her complex feelings. Since she creates theories easily when she notices patterns, she has been suffering for the misunderstanding she notices that other people have of what it really means to suffer. It is unusual these days to suffer in the spirit, mostly because there is little of a way to do so, considering how solitude is thwarted by the loudness of life and the difficulty of reflecting on one's feelings consistently and with a serious eye for truth. When they speak to her about suffering, it begins to increase. The things around her are taken into the conversation by her and remind her of how much she loves the world and all things therein, and her parents' voices seem to be coming from more and more of a distance. Another theory kicks in and makes her heart sink. Sometimes people talk with a goal in mind, with a checklist mentality, and sometimes people talk with love, transcending their every word as they speak it. In that moment where they expressed their concern, she saw how disinterested they really were in the topic itself. What has conversation between parent and child become, she thought. The kitchen had become a legal office or police examination room, and the boredom that they sought to conceal from themselves and hide from their perspicacious daughter. Oh my. She listened and forgave. 
Not only do they refuse to see their own sad condition, their attempt to achieve total peace in a restless world, but they lose the joy of understanding the wild implications of that resignation whenever it crops up in man. Her happiness isn't what they want. Really, her parents want to get rid of the feeling that there is something they have been missing. Wow. Kelly, she is really a talented writer. She really is. She's got a she's got a writing style. She has a style. It's very much like in that seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, very American in style as well. Very yes, it's yeah. it's it's giving Walden. It's yeah, giving Wordsworth. You can tell who you know who she like. What hold on? What does the word persp- perspicacious is that the word you used? I don't know that word. Yes, uh, having a ready insight into and understanding of things. I didn't know it either. I had to Google it. You learn something new every day. Fantastic. No, she's really talented. Really talented. Uh, I, my money's on... That sounds like very thorough to me. So at this point, we're going into summer between her junior and senior years of high school. I've, I've skipped over some things because it's kind of repetitive and I've just tried to give you an overview. Kelly has really strong feelings for this guy from church. They're not formally together, waiting on God's timing. She's still blogging about this. She's getting more into writing about religion and God more often, but she's still very normal in like having other hobbies and interests. She likes Coldplay, Mumford and & Sons, and Arcade Fire. She really likes Arcade Fire. Great band. She talks about being diagnosed with OCD her senior year of high school. And okay, we don't we don't armchair diagnose on this show. She shows a pattern throughout her posts, even up to current times now in 2022, of periods of time feeling alive and full of energy and passion and creativity and God is speaking to me and God has made me special and God wants me to be his writer. God wants me to be a mother for him to raise up soldiers for the army of God. And then periods of time immediately following that where she feels depressed, hopeless, low energy, out of touch with her passions, unmotivated. She gets very down on herself. She feels like she's not fulfilling God's plans for her. And then she will vacillate between those two extremes on a fairly regular basis. So we don't armchair diagnose. I have compiled the, those are her own words that I have directly paraphrased and even just used her terms. She really gets into philosophy her senior year of high school. She enjoy, really, really enjoyed Kierkegaard. Is that how you say that? Kierkegaard, yeah. Kierkegaard. I learned that from The Good Place. <laughs> but she was reading um, a lot of classic philosophy works. That's just who she really latched onto and enjoyed. So she she gets through senior year of high school. She slows down posting during what would have been her first semester of freshman year at Kenton. And then when she picks up more in what would be the second semester of her freshman year, Her content is almost all religion and philosophy. There is not a moment where she seems to switch from a normal feed with a little religion to a very religious feed. It is extremely gradual over a long period of time. And then she almost suddenly stops using Tumblr between June 2014 and July 2014. She has a couple posts about how she feels that philosophy was pulling her away from her faith and she jettisons philosophy from her life. Pretty bluntly. So her Tumblr just kind of ended, just kind of left the story hanging. So out of curiosity, I scrolled all the way back on her Instagram. And it turns out that she started posting on Instagram in 2016, around the time that she and Levi got married. 
So there's only a gap of a couple years between 2014 and 2016. Um, and I imagine that she was pretty caught up in her romance with Levi and planning a wedding and all the things that come with that. Up through the beginning of 2019, her posts are, again, very normal. It's She's posting her garden, her crafts, her baby, a few selfies here and there. Th- around early 2019, so three years after she starts her Instagram, she starts maybe posting a little moralistic lesson at the end of her posts. A, a little Bible verse or a little, God will bless you if you are open to his blessings or that sort of that sort of thing or this or that is a blessing from god or remember to be thankful or remember to pray like that sort of not a not much in january 2019 she made a reintroduction post uh she says that she had a large following on flickr but stepped away from it in college when it became too consuming by mid 2019 she seems to be splitting time between dressing in modern clothes and dressing in the 1800s cosplay um, kind of outfits that she wears now. She posted, she did another reintroduction post in mid-2019. So, because she starts posting with her current aesthetic and really gaining followers quickly. So, the second introduction post in mid-2019, she posts that she had been mostly offline for the early years of her marriage because of the stress of her philosophy and English studies. But now, in mid-2019, quote, God wanted me to start thinking, creating, and writing again. And since then, in mid-2019, it has been a steady slope down into the God's little writer, butternut squash by itself as a decoration, cardboard-looking bread, submitting to your husband, faux rural isolation with a ring doorbell, motherhood is the greatest calling, raising little soldiers for God, Kelly, that we see today. Oof. And again, like I am not trying to just eviscerate this woman because I have spent half of an episode telling you how much I honestly identify with the version of her that existed 10 years ago. I am not just dragging her up here on my platform to make fun of her. I will absolutely poke at the funny little things. I'm not trying to make fun of her, who she is as a person. But it has really, it, this aesthetic and this ideology has really seemed to become all-consuming for her. Put a pin in that because we have one or, one other thing to talk about before I tell you what I think about Kelly overall. Go for it. There's nothing she's ever posted that leads me to think that she is purposely or consciously racist. I have seen her described as racist by omission, and that maybe rang true for me. Her photos have been used and shared by white supremacist accounts online, and she apparently has nothing to say about that. Like, hey, don't use my photos for that. So do you mind if I push back on that maybe a little bit? Okay. Just the fact that she exists as a pretty white girl with a trad femme aesthetic and who shares high quality photos, high quality content on the internet, no matter what, like white supremacists are just going to be drooling over her no matter what. That's just like that. That's just the fact of it. Does she have to make a statement every time that happens? Like, does she have to make an statement every time that, because sometimes the better move personally, I would say is just to ignore it because it's not like she can go onto their computers and erase all of the images or, or go onto her pages and erase all of their images of her. Like if you post a picture of yourself on the internet, anybody can use that picture for anything they want. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Like your baby photo might end up as a meme. Like you just never know. 
So if someone used someone specific used a picture of me and Chuck for a white supremacist page and I found out about it, I would have a conniption. I would report it to Instagram, demand that it be taken down. Like I would never want my baby's precious face to be used for something like that. And I feel like expecting her, if she finds out about such a post, to comment on the post like boilerplate, please take this down, you're using my images without my permission, and making a report to Instagram. I don't feel like that's an unreasonable expectation. Yeah, but Twitter and Instagram don't take down white supremacist content. They they really don't. They, you know, I mean, you could straight up post swastikas and say gas the Jews on Twitter and Instagram. And if you report it, then Twitter and Instagram will say this does not violate our community standards. Yeah, I know. I've reported stuff like that on Twitter before. I, I'm getting the point. <laughs> Anybody who's listening to this. Have, uh, this this should be fun. Open up your phone if you have Twitter. Open up your phone and into the search bar, type in "gas the Jews" all one word, "gas the Jews," and see how many just existing accounts pop up with that as the name. Like I know, they, and I've you know. I've reported anti-Semitic hate comment on Twitter before, content on Twitter before, and had the message come back: "This does not violate our community standards." No, but it, it's. It's not getting it taken down. It's the principle of making a statement of like, I do not support this. Like this, this is something that happens to her a lot. So could she have a note saved on her iPhone that just has a boilerplate two sentence statement? I do not support the views of this page. This page is using my images without consent. And then anytime a white supremacist page uses her content and she finds out about it because I know it's not reasonable to expect her to find out about every single time it happens. She gets a lot of interactions on the internet and that wouldn't be reasonable. But anytime she finds out about it, you know, ask her followers to tell her about it when it happens. And then anytime she finds out about it and has time, copy paste a statement from her iPhone notes and report the account to Instagram and take a screenshot. Like all of that would take to 10 to 30 seconds. And I feel like 10 to 30 seconds to not be associated with a racist is maybe worth it. Like, mm. I just, I don't feel like that's too much to ask. I, I am of the opposite opinion of this because you know how you associate yourself with something by is by talking about that thing, especially on social media. Even if you're condemning that thing, if you condemn something, you're still associating yourself with that thing. I don't know. I, I, I honestly feel like just ignoring it is better than drawing attention to it. And the only people that really, I don't want to say the only people that are mad about it are people that are kind of her detractors anyway, and are looking for a reason to come after her a little bit because they, I, I that, that's just kind but that that's kind of the feeling that I get. Like if somebody took a picture of me and did that same sort of thing with it, I would not feel like, I had to say something about it every single time that picture popped up because it would just be a headache. It's just I, Yeah, I I think the I think the idea is though that she is her content even unintentionally props up white supremacist narratives because she posts so much about how America was great and perfect back 100 150 years ago how the traditional family is going to be is is God's perfect way and all of her content even if she totally does not mean to props up white supremacy 
if she is making that content, if she is a content maker that even completely accidentally props up white supremacist comments, I don't know. I think I think it's her obligation to distance herself from it if she wants herself distanced from it. I just feel like there's a lot of people in this country that that's not even like I don't want to say that's they're just not operating on that level. Like, you know, you've been out of fundamentalism and you are in involved with social justice movements now on especially online. And so you see white supremacists as like the arch evil. You do. You know, as, or as at least as an uh, arch. Yeah, I was. I was going to say one of several arch evils, but yeah, sure, I'll take that. So you're. I mean, you're thinking about them all the time. You know, like a lot of people in this country, they're not thinking about this whole like who benefits from privilege and who doesn't because they just they're just not really bothered with that whatsoever. They just they don't care. They just, they, that's just a conversation that they have no desire to be part of. So she's not thinking about like, oh, I'm making that white supremacists like now I need to say stuff that white supremacists, that white supremacists aren't for me, you know, or, or I need to say things like specifically come down and condemn them so that people won't associate me with them. That's just not the op, the level that she's operating on. She thinks of them as not at all mainstream, completely fringe and not something that she has to worry about whatsoever. So why would she address this issue that isn't like a. Okay. But we've spent an entire episode talking about Kelly's intelligence. She went to, she went to college I mean, I would think that she had the opportunity to learn about these things and maybe have her eyes open to this part of the world. And I had the opportunity to learn about Jesus. <laughs> so, like, I mean, but honestly, that's how it is, is that you learned about these things and you really, you know, took them in. And that doesn't happen for everybody. She's just not she's just not operating on on w- with that as a motivating factor or as something that even makes a. Uh, a difference to her you know that's yeah that, i mean that's really it i don't know i just i, I don't think- know i to me i'm i'm a big fan of the concept of slower living i enjoy personally learning old-fashioned skills like canning and sewing and bread baking and gardening and growing food all of that sort of hobby interest thing uh for me it soothes the apocalypse anxiety that the fundamentalist gave me but that's another story (laughs) but the way that kelly presents these concepts as a method of propping up biblical womanhood and quote-unquote biblical gender roles it can really be a dog whistle and she does she talks about the culture war and the war for our children and that sort of thing and that combined with refusing to say anything about her photos being used by white supremacist accounts i am not dragging this up as like here it is ultimate proof that she is personally a racist horrible person uh i just i think it is enough to be suspicious and that's my take i don't disagree with you there okay i i I don't disagree with you there about that at all especially when she's talking about the culture war and the war for our children okay well i think that was productive (laughs) i i just don't think that everybody needs to respond to everything that anybody says about them sometimes it's better if you just block and move on or if you just like you know if especially on social media everybody's just looking for attention anyway um but yeah, um, okay. I don't know. It's- no, I, th- I feel like I understand your viewpoint. Yeah. Um- so I also think, and this is one small way that she's related to Paul and Morgan, 
that she's dangerously spreading the message that religion is the cure for mental illness. And that's something that that she talks about a lot of like Jesus and God taking away her anxiety or why do I still struggle with anxiety? I haven't given it up to God. And why am I still struggling with anxiety? Oh, there was something else I had to give up to God or there was something else that was a sin or there was something else that was a distraction. Now I'm giving that up to God. And why am I still anxious? I Oh, I found something else that I've got to give up to God. And that's kind of a, a a cycle that she's currently on, like current constantly on. Um, so that's one way that she has a has a relation to Paul and Morgan. But how did how did Kelly get here? On Tumblr a decade ago, she was posting that she believes abortion is morally wrong and she would never get one, but that laws against abortion hurt innocent people and don't help anyone. She was posting 10 years ago that she believes that acting on, she believes that having sex between anything other than a heterosexual married couple is sinful, but she also said that that the government allowing gay marriage isn't much of a big deal to her. It's something that she believes is wrong, but doesn't care if it's a law or whatever. She occasionally posted about having a message from God or God's true purpose for her life 10 years ago, but it wasn't something that occupied her daily thoughts and that she wrote and posted constantly about the way that it does now. I think that Kelly loved the following she had on Flickr and Tumblr and other social media back in the day when she was an older teenager. She wrote so much about how she felt like she had no community outside of those online spaces. And now as an adult, she is still primarily finding community in those online spaces. I think she has always seen herself as a little bit of an outsider. And I think that in times when she hasn't had these online communities to support her and tell her that she's okay and that she's, yeah, you're different, but you're fine. Like, you're different, but that's okay. When she has not had those online spaces, she has dived deeper into religion to make her feel okay. I don't think the thing we do with Kelly is snark on her mental illness. Uh, or most of her weird behavior. <laughs> I do think that there is something valuable to be learned from discussing her. And I felt like you needed to know the background of who she was before we get into next week. Because Paul and Morgan and Kelly Haven Stickle may seem like the weirdest two fundy influencers ever to be put together in a single podcast episode. Everything about their brands are polar opposites within the world of Christian influencers, but they have something in common and they have something in common with Kim Plath, Michelle Duggar, and Andrea Yates. All of these people had life experiences that have somehow led them to a firm belief, not a belief in God, not a strong religious faith, but a firm, unshakable belief in their own brand of religious fundamentalism. These people I think a lot of people go through really hard things in life and either turn away from religion as a result or turn to religion. And both of those are normal outcomes to going through some real tough But the people that we discuss on this show, something happened in their life that led them way past a strong religious faith and way down the rabbit hole of fundamentalism. I hope you'll come back next week. Because we're going to talk about why people become fundy and what the role of adverse life experiences is in leading people to become fundy. 
That's really exciting. I'm really excited for that episode that we're going to do next week. But it's time for us to wrap up. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you like our show, once again, uh, subscribe on whatever uh, podcasting app you use, however you listen to podcasts, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Join our Patreon for a very extended version of today's episode because we ran so long when we were making it. And you can follow our podcast on facebook and instagram at leaving eden podcast on twitter at leaving eden pod sadie do you want to plug your social media absolutely you can follow me on twitter at hell yes sadie you can follow me on instagram at sadie carpenter music and on tiktok at sadie carpenter one where i promise to make some videos at some point in the future and you can follow me on facebook instagram and twitter at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n thank you guys so much for tuning in see you guys next week bye-bye How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.